0: a poem entitled letting go by david white at the end things pass away into a hard one perspective the sepia photographs of childhood like twilight encounters with eternity and the youthful laughter pealing across a mountainside standing close together we make our vows in front of of others knowing with a backward kind of courage that everything passes away, no matter how precious the memory, and that even in this we recognize the flourish and the firm signature of love. Everything we ever held in our hands is given to another or slips like sand through the gates of our fingers into something which, to begin with, we cannot recognize. Everything we ever held in our hands is given away in marriage to another person or another world. How could we know the blessings which illuminated our days? The joy too strong to feel until it was no longer there to disturb us. We find ourselves always at last ennobled by the encounter, the wedding vows remembered at the end and cherished now, like a live hand holding a dead hand, loving everything it must let go. Like a live hand holding a dead hand, loving everything it must let go. So we're uh, looking with some depth and interest, hopefully, uh, at this Parami series. And uh, we have landed on the Parami of renunciation, uh, which uh, may not be to your liking. It may be the least favorite of the... Some of us would like to be spiritual and give up nothing. And some of us get very fearful of the possibility of that we would have, of the possibility of the probability that we will have to give up something, and that threatens us. As some of us are very threatened by the possibility of having to give up something, even though we're not sure what we're going to have to give up. We sense that when, like Christ said, a rich man, uh, the chances of a rich man getting to heaven is the same as a camel getting through the eye of a needle, or something like that. The point is, is that uh, something has to be released in order to get through that eye, right? And so uh, we come with some degree of trepidation and some, not completely um, settled with the fact that uh, we look at our life and we feel the abundance of it. Uh, we don't want to be forced to have to be spiritual and unload. And yet there is this growing sense in us that of the burdens of that loading, the burdens of, of the um, possessions that we have. <clears throat> so let me just assure all of you that pressure to give up anything will never come from me. I will just direct you to your pain.
1: <laughs>
0: you then will have to decide. So as I like to do around uh, different topics, I like to use different words for topics because they invite a different orientation to what we mean uh, when we uh, frame topics. And I find that if I use the same words, or if you hear the same words, I repeat it over and over again, like letting go. uh, You develop a relationship to the word like you develop a relationship to someone who's very familiar in your life. You see them from your memory of what you've known about them. And we see the word from what we have understood it to be. And we never really hear it again. We never really change our fixed perception of it so that we can see it anew and invite a whole different uh, perspective in with a new word. So I want to start off tonight by reframing what renunciation is. And so this topic is the second talk in uh, that parmi. We've had two talks on generosity, two on virtue, and now two on renunciation, and we still have seven parmes to go. So you can see it's going to fill out the year. So, uh, what? What's the? Where are we going in all this? Reasonable question, is it not? What are we doing? You know, uh, where does this all go? And it was partly my frustration, and I'm not saying it's not there, I just couldn't understand it, with, in Christianity, where it goes, that it wasn't satisfying to me. So I needed to change my spiritual perspective to find out from a different uh, and cultural directive where their religion goes. So I entered Buddhism, and after a number of years... I was doing a lot, but I really didn't understand where it went. It seems like it's an important question. It's like driving your car. We'd love to get going fast and move fast, but we're fast to what? So let me reframe it um, by uh, using different words, and words I think that are helpful in understanding the destination, that it's the full realization very simply stated that there is only now now we may in within our practices as we meditate <clears throat> get glances or even insights or experiential references to that fact that there's only now But the full realization, the full realization that there is and could only be now is the final, shall I say, resting place of freedom. That means that there could not be any other expression of life outside of now. How could there be? Yet, from the perspective that many of us take, a lot of life occurs outside of now. Yes, doesn't it? We believe that our past has tremendous relevance. And we frame our, our, our present position in relationship to our past encounters and our past history. And we believe that our salvation rests in terms of the future, because if we look at ourselves and take stock of who and what we are in this moment, we come up with an incomplete answer, an incomplete resolution for ourself. So it must, there must be some, there must be some evolution that's necessary for me to finally get to what I could say, is the final answer in Buddhism? It certainly isn't now, in our minds. It will be. And because we have given and invited so much um, emphasis and validation to the past and to the pre- through the future, that the present really. Uh, is an impoverished present at best. It doesn't satisfy me. Because when I really sit still and look at myself, I don't like much what I see. And so, don't frame things in terms of now, we say inside ourselves, because that leaves me just with what I have. And I don't particularly respect it. Now, can you hear the preciousness of self appreciation, of self love that's necessary for this? Because without that, we'll forever transverse life through now. To what we could be, our potential, to some striving form of ambitious goal ahead that will allow me finally, after all these years, to relax with myself. And so much of meditation begins with really the basis of self recovery. Interestingly enough, though, as we venture into ourselves, we find less and less to loathe. It begins to be clear to us that we can't recover the past and that forgiveness is the only thing that we can bring to our transgressions. And when we do so with a genuine heart, we find resting here is not so bad. We find as we look at our minds with greater discernment that yes, we have the whole range of mental states some of which we have liked and some of which we have not. But as we compare notes to those around us, so do they. Even the teachers, if they're honest, will point that out. So how bad could we be? When we hide intrepidation trepidation of our minds, when we fear what might be looming in there because other people couldn't possibly have those thoughts, that malice, that passion, then we have something to hide from and a strong sense of self-betrayal. But when we see it for what it is and see that we have the ability just to be present Listen to the words in relationship to the ultimate solution, to be present to these things. That when we're present to them they really don't weigh in very with much disadvantage. And there's a beautiful lightness of being that comes, beautiful lightness of being. And so, slowly, through our own direct experience, we learn our way into now. And renunciation, at first, feels like what we need to do to unburden our past, to make it light enough to carry ourselves into the future and to rest with some degree of contentment in the present. And so renunciation in the beginning is an unburdening, is a releasing what is not true and no longer needed in our life. And some of it has to do with the material abundance we live with. We try, we look, we experiment, we move into a lighter kind of life. We find less need for entertainment, less need for stimulation, less need for chit-chat conversation. and I don't I'm not disparaging Jean to any of those things. But it's a natural expression of lightness. More drawn to nature, more drawn to beauty and appreciation. More drawn to the heart's door. To feeling the confirmation of life. And if we ask ourselves where that confirmation is arising, we begin to validate the very seat we have taken. And with that comes the loss of much of our arrogance Mm -hmm. because almost um, without much energy or effort as we are drawn more and more into now through this unburdening we have less need for arrogance because it seems to be a, a, a journey that has, we've parted ways. As long as we were very convinced in the pressures and burden of time, then arrogance was the way we held ourselves aloof in our specialness from others. But as we are drawn more and more into now... We just don't need it. It seems like I don't need to do that anymore. It's not, again, it's not a forced, cold slap letting go. It's, it's just a conducive, loving relationship to life in which honesty becomes the conduit for further settledness, for further contentment. And that honesty prohibits arrogance, really. Since I don't have time for it. It's like a waste of time. But what does come out is a beautiful joining. Heartwarming. Caring. And so renunciation as it matures becomes releasing all journey away from now. Anything that seems to take us away is relinquished, is renounced. For we feel the beat of our heart, the center Of our being, the preciousness of life, to only be present in presence. And we use awareness to retrace our steps back to now. It's very interesting how we do that. It's like the lifeline man or woman overboard. And the lifesaver that is thrown from the ship of now is the technique that we use called mindfulness. We like floating behind the ship because we can still have a sense of independence of the ship. But we're tied very much to the ship. As it floats away, so do we. And that lifeline are the mechanics of knowing what we're doing as we're doing it, held within the techniques of Anapanasati, mindfulness of breath, or the walking meditation, in which we are inviting some context, some relevance of now to our life. And at first it feels like a burden to our life, because it's another thing we have to do in our life. And we're used, so used to running far afield from this mastership that we much prefer not having something else to do. And so, mindfulness, if it doesn't begin to show some payoff quickly, becomes like something we tried and we'll talk about, but not very relevant. But for Everyone in here, I would say, or you wouldn't be here because I've taught thousands of people. A few of you moved it into a relevant relationship to your life somehow. I don't know how you did it because I didn't teach you any differently. But somehow it meant something to you. somehow something was touched. And you started to pull the rope and you started to narrow the distance between yourself and the ship. And each time you took a foot in, there was a new appreciation for what this lifeline was offering. And it required a lot of work, a lot of renunciation, renunciation because your life was, in my life, our lives were completely filled already. And every time we brought the rope in a foot it required more of us, more from us. Which means we had to renounce. Which means we had to face our pain. Which means we had to be honest with our denial and deceit. Which means we had to look and see that that, which was the basis for the reason for never wanting to join the now, became the very journey toward the now. We saw our own goodness, or at least the potential. And something delighted in that in us. And so mindfulness we had to learn how to approach even closer. And mindfulness was a beautiful way to begin the journey but I noticed, we all noticed, that the more effort, the more strength, the more ambition we had in trying to get closer to the ship, the further the ship was from us. And so there was a kind of a revelation of sorts in which we began to understand through our meditation and through the efforts we tried in order to bring forth presence in our life, we, through both of those, we began to understand the dynamics that were working and making growth occur. And we saw that the more honest we were, the more we really looked at the reasons we journeyed away from now, The solutions that those journey, that those tributaries, those reasons that we were always looking into the future, really increased our pain. So, we thought that the prize of life, those, that, those objects that we so wanted, those desires that we so pursued, Were actually keeping us from a deeper sense of joy in ourselves. And at first, it was very confusing because everyone's life, including ours, had been solely based on those desires, obtaining those desires, procuring those desires, making, reaching those desires. And we began to notice because now we're on the course of honesty, not arrogance, that. That very reaching, that very ambition was actually creating a backlash of our, that we felt as pain. That the sense of adding something to us created the additional a burden of being us. And that the more I accumulated, the more roles, the more images, the more objects, whatever forms accumulation Took once stated as the object of life of all life as the the winning of life now became kind of the treachery of life. It hurt. We feel the pain and we are no longer in the position to pretend that that pain was coming from some other source. It was coming from us. And we awaken to the fact that to journey away from now is the very source of pain itself. And many of us are very rough in that understanding. So I'm not claiming any of us present have a full awakening to that. Because to awaken fully to that is to fully awaken. But we're we're getting a sense of that, aren't we? Together. Together. It's interesting because all the people are in Lifesavers and there's nobody on the boat. And we've played this story endlessly through the drumbeat of time. And we've hidden, and we get stuck. Many of us, if we're honest... Go into remission or spiritual remission where where we we don't want to pull on that line one more inch. in fact, if we could loosen its hold, we'd do so, but we can't do that either, so we're stuck in a kind of purgatory in which we know too much to back away from now, and we're too fully. Invest it in our lives to approach now, to decrease the distance. Now, does that sound familiar? <laughs> and there's this—it's—it's a—it it's a, can be a very dry place because we're—it's ju- just like we're coasting. It's just like we're in a stale, <coughs> and we really don't know what to do if we're honest. But we know we don't want to give up anything. And there's a way that's very interesting. I was just with uh, some guiding teachers um, at the Insight Meditation Society. And we were having a talk about renunciation, coincidentally. And many of us who have journeyed to the East, we have seen what. The disposition of yielding, how deeply, um, how deeply, circumstances in the East require Westerners to yield, to yield their abundance, because if they want to stay there, they have no other choice. They yield to the environment, to the food, to the living situation. I, I yield it, it to insects that you are just like creatures of some horror story. Snakes and spiders as big as your hand, and
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and there was, it, 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 you could, it could break, the most sincere practitioner, if it wasn't framed, if it, if if we didn't understand renunciation. I remember once having prickly heat so badly that my whole body was completely rash-covered, and just it was—it's like um, I can't think of an itch that's worse than that. And I thought I have to leave. I can't. I can't stay here. This is. I can't do. And only at that point, and this is how the universe sometimes works with our inability to renounce. Another Western monk showed up at that time, who spoke Thai, which I didn't. And he took me to a Thai doctor and I received a a soap, an antibacterial soap, which just gave me enough breathing space from this prickly heat so that I could continue. And, uh, so I did. And the depth that... uh, But most of us, we will only go so far uh, in our yield to circumstances. You see, that's that's where we're in purgatory. You see, and we have reached a balance here in our lives where we really don't have to give up much. You know, you you can be comfortable and come to Tuesdays. And yet, literally, 20 feet away from this room are people on the edge who are living a life of total renunciation because they have nothing. That doesn't make them spiritual because I'm sure they would trade positions with you in a second But to know that we are as close to that. We are 20 feet away. And if you can't buy that one because you have too much money in the bank, then how about your death? Because that's also 20 feet away. So the signs are clear. The signs are clear. That this journey is a journey of renunciation. Because I come in with nothing and I'm going to have to leave with nothing. And that's if I can make it through these 70 years without having to give it all away or have it taken all away before I get to my death. And so we can't be too arrogant when we start including that, can we? And so I find this purgatory really having to do with our investment and the comfort level of our lives. And that's where the fear comes in. We're deeply afraid that we're going to have to give up something comfortable to us. It's really amazing, you know, in this uh, economic uncertainty, how for some people who are very invested in their comfort level, they pull way back into more seclusion, into more isolation, into more contraction. And others who are invested in their spiritual growth are becoming more abundant, more generous in these times. Because they look at what they have compared to what is being asked of them. So which are we? Where do we line up in that? What does this word renunciation mean to each one of us? What will get our interest? One way that it can get our interest, if we pay attention to our weariness and fatigue, if we pay attention to the burdensome way that we self-promote our image, how our story encircles and strangles us in tighter and tighter ways. If we bring awareness to what causes our pain and not blame the source of that pain on others, then that is part of a heart that yearns to unburden, to release itself. And there's a second factor in wanting to unburden. Because we begin to appreciate what it means to be conscious and to pause. We begin to appreciate the value of not doing, of holding a space and not filling that space with the noise of chatter, but with the confirmation of relationship. where we see that we will no longer give ourselves away to conditioning. That it does not satisfy us to just run on habit and to say things in a rote and patterned way that forces disconnection, not connection. And that when we're insensitive, when we're not conscious, how insensitive we are to others. How we hurt and step on life carelessly and ceaselessly. As if it didn't matter. Each one of our footfalls didn't matter. And we see that. The horror of that. Because that part of us that has awakened, that holds on to that rope, can't deny our insensitivity. We'd love to. But we can't deny... our rudeness. And part of us yearns for renunciation to unburden and find the true source of happiness. We've heard this thing. We've seen all the advertisements that seem to point to some form of happiness. We've tried many of them And there's something in us that senses that we're just walking this thing in the wrong direction. And it's never going to self-correct. When do we think it's going to happen? If we're 40 or 50 or 60? When do you think that happiness is going to be fulfilled? Or are we walking in the wrong direction? Or is happiness found within non-resistance? Because as we begin to journey up the rope to that main ship, if I can just use that analogy a little further... Each step along the way activates a kind of inward delight. Perhaps joy. Perhaps humor where we didn't have one. Perhaps self love where there wasn't. Perhaps kindness and caring. Part of the journey to renunciation comes from a sheer delight of simplicity itself. For we see when we are quiet and simple, life rushes in with its beauty, with its appreciation. That appreciation isn't coming from me to it. It's coming in to my heart and just holding what life is, is the definition of appreciation. And we find that as we get quieter in mind, our burdens become less. Are we literally talking ourselves out of our problem or are we just quieting the problem so it doesn't matter anymore? We see that we don't use speech to counter the story of our lives, which is further noise. We now see the story of our lives in a very different perspective. That at a certain threshold can be relinquished. And a part of the beauty of unburdening comes from seeing what happens when we slow down. When we aren't rushing through the day thinking of the next thing we're going to do. There's a deep yearning in our heart for connection and beauty. And part of it comes from aging. There isn't quite an experience like aging. because for the first time we have perspective and you can see where you couldn't before. You see the history. You see what's important. One outgrows the need to resist because we've tried every conceivable alternative. And experience over time shifts the perspective we have. And so part of the willingness to unburden ourselves and renounce, if we have, keep our eyes open, which is a big if, because there's no certainty because just the fact that you've lived X number of years that you've learned from any of that living and many of us have known people who are in their seventh, eighth, and ninth decade of life, who are cynical and bitter and unresolved. They haven't softened because they haven't kept their eyes open. If we keep our eyes open, there's nothing that life can do but soften you. And part of it of this unburdening comes from our willingness to face our death and to admit there's an end. Because what are we carrying when we know we have to release? How important can it be when there's a certainty, a certainty that you are going to have to part from it. When that live hand meets the dead one. And then... The willingness to yield. And with that, not from our efforts, we find the distance between the lifesaver and the boat narrowing. And as our heart journeys. And as we investigate and look and inquire into the residues of our pain, that journey quickens and we find ourselves on the deck. And which now confirms our life and has held all of our life. We just didn't confirm life. We confirmed ourselves in life. Now we're confirming life. The context has shifted. And how did that happen? It happened from renunciation. It happened from the power of beauty. Your own from the validation of appreciation. May it happen to all of us. Thank you. Can we sit for a minute or two? So as we said, you see, if you notice presence, awareness presence is already unburdened. It never held on. It just surrounds and validates. There's only one thing that holds on. And as we release the need to be that one thing, we see that now holds all things. So let us sit, not with that one thing, but with all things. If there are any questions or comments, I'd be happy to respond if I can. Your work is all what? My work involves a lot of thinking. Your work involves a lot of thinking, okay. So I'm wondering if um, the
1: homework applies to all kinds
0: of thinking? Or <laughs> Does the homework impl- involve all kinds of thinking? Well, um, so we have to go very carefully on that. Uh, I was given, uh, you know, every, everybody's looking at that and say, oh, I can't do that. I can't, I can't. uh. All I want you to do is to take an hour in which you're not at work, okay? An hour in which you're not pressured. I know you're a mother. An hour in which there isn't a lot coming at you. And perhaps it could be, you know, your time of just being alone by yourself or in which there's just light conversation or something. And I want us to be aware, and this is the total point, of how we generate our lives from thinking beyond the thoughts that are needed in order to to have a relationship to our life. Because we don't. We keep investing a whole um, conclusion from our thinking and a proliferation to our thinking that uh, has nothing to do with what's in front of our eyes. And that there's a functional way that thoughts are very helpful in orienting us to the needs of the world and our needs and how to master and obtain those needs. And then there's another whole function of thought that is just infused with our pain that just proliferates out endlessly making more of something than that something ever called for or was even true to that. And so I just want us to become spend a little more time noticing the difference between a functional thought and a dysfunctional one. And not that you're not going to have thoughts, so it's not to have an hour of not thinking. It's to have a, an hour in which we are going to think functionally and let all other thoughts go. Renounce all other Tendencies to interpret the meaning of what they say, which is often to our belittlement, to project onto someone and make them more or less than what they actually are, based upon our pain of having them be that way. I, I just... The board at Insight Meditation Society in Massachusetts. We, I was on, I'm on the board and we invite uh, diversity training. And so, this is the second of a whole number of sessions that we're having on diversity training. So, they uh, were showing um, a, a film called The Face of Fear. If you've ever, if you, if you haven't seen it, it's really a good thing. But, the point was that it's just to get us attuned to subtle projections that we have lived with as being the, just the matter of fact, the truth of our life. We, all of us have them. and we carry them with us as assumptions about life that we never really test. We just we go, If we investigate anything, we investigate from those assumptions, not look at those assumptions. And I just have awakened to a whole level of projection. Very subtle. And because I've lived for 35 years with some awareness, they come very quick and can be very insidious. And they're not usually that derogatory. But they're there. And to just get quiet enough so that we begin to perceive sort of the engine of our actions are based so much on these subtle forms of approach and avoidance. It really has awakened me to a whole different level and appreciation for just what it means to renounce What it means to interconnect. What it means to really release one's hold on the world so that it can come back together in its rightful orientation. And meditation, spiritual journey, keeps calling us forth to more and more subtlety. Never, ever arresting upon a fixed relationship with anything as being the fact of it.
1: Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.